today we're going to talk about the treasure of God's mercy. You may be seated. And I want to take you to a passage that we have never covered on Sunday morning. And I want to tell you why. It's because I've been a chicken. And I, 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 this is a tough passage. And you might look at it and say, uh, no, it's not. Um, but you're not up here, okay? Um, and, and this is a passage that um, I, I've gotten a lot of counsel uh, on about this passage. And every pastor I've asked said, wow, uh, you're going to Romans 9. Uh, good luck. And, uh, but I really felt like the Lord was, was walking us through different passages on the power of God. And specifically, today we're going to talk about the power of mercy and how it is a higher power. It is, it is a power that we do not possess in our own heart and our own mind. There are a lot of misunderstandings about Romans 9. In fact, I think it's safe to say that Romans 9 is the most misunderstood chapter in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. I really, we're not going to be able to survey every difficult passage in Romans 9, but I'm going to do this. I am going to do a shorter Bible study tonight, and if you have questions, I will take as much time as you would like to answer questions from Romans 9. I can't guarantee I have the answers, but tonight we'll do a question and answer after the Bible study in 1 Timothy 4 on marks of maturity, and, and we'll, we'll take as many questions as you want. So I know that this passage is going to produce questions. I want you to get the answers, and I will do everything I can to get you those answers. But I just, I, I didn't want to... I want, to, I want to share my heart before we read God's word. I, I, I never want to sidestep a passage just because it's hard. And I think it's important for us to say there are some hard truths in scripture and there are some things that you read and you don't understand them. And I think in those moments, you don't pull away, you lean in. And so today we're going to lean in. Will you lean in with me? And, uh, and so we're, I'm excited to go through this, but Romans chapter 9, and I'm just going to read uh, three verses, and we're going we're gonna to survey more of the chapter, uh, but, but three verses, starting in verse number 15, it says, For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Uh, so then it is not him that willeth, or him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith to Pharaoh, even for the same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for every passage. Lord, even the ones that from some angles can, can give us uh, conflicting views, Lord, but I, I believe that every passage has one interpretation, Lord, and there are so many applications, but Lord, there's one interpretation, there's one meaning, and Lord, I believe that you've made those meanings extremely um, transparent and open for us to understand and know, and I believe that your mercy is not something that's too complex to understand in our context, and I pray that you would please, Lord, use uh, your word to do your work as only you can. Holy Spirit, guide us into all truth now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we first started New Life, I was telling everyone about it, and I ran across um, this young lady who apparently was a famous influencer. I still have no idea who she was. I still honestly 
don't really care that much. Uh, but I was inviting everyone. And, and she was almost insulted that I was inviting her to church because she said, don't you know who I am? Um, and I just kind of looked at her like, so new life? No? Yes? Uh, what, what's, what's happening here, you know? And, and it's always cra- it always cracks me up when there's a celebrity or someone who's super famous and they get pulled over, they get in trouble, and their first thing is not like, oh, I did something wrong. No, their first thing is, do you know who I am, you know? And you almost want to ask them, why does it matter? <laughs> like, like, the point is, when someone says something like that, it's often a reflection that they're looking for their identity to make an exception for their reality. I want to tell you something that many people are looking for an exception to their reality. They're looking for a way out of dealing with the pressures of life. And, and in this passage of scripture, it's going to lean into a very, very tough topic. It's going to lean into a group of people who really felt, and, and by the way, I am not saying that their feeling was wrong in the sense that they they shouldn't have felt this way. They felt this way because they had been trained. They, they grew up to feel this way, to have this perspective. But the children of Israel felt that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had direct revelation from God. Would, would everyone agree with that? Okay, I would agree with that. I mean, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, I mean, direct revelation. I mean, he came to them. He, they heard his voice. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, we, we understand that. I mean, you know, Israel is, was, you know, was Jacob, now it's Israel. So, so this was an incredible thing. And, and, and I, I want you to understand that they were using their identity to try as, to use it as an excuse to sidestep their reality. So they were using who they were as people of Israel, as people who were descendants from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were using that as an excuse to say, we don't have to accept Jesus we, we don't need to uh, have a moment where we've received Christ as our Savior because, after all, we're descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so verses 1 in chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, is basically going to walk us through the fact that there are no exceptions. I mean, I don't know who you are, Paul's saying. I don't care who your family is. I don't care how quick the descendant line is to Abraham. I don't care what you've done, uh, good or bad. There are no exceptions. Everyone has to come to God through Jesus. By the way, I know we all agree on that. Uh, but there are a lot of religions built on the fact that, yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, but you have to go through our church. And yeah, but you have to go through the Pope and a priest and you have to do this and penance. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we, we get that. We, we get that you have to go through Jesus. But we want to add on our things. And I'm telling you, there are no add-ons. And that's what, that's what Paul's saying. So then he goes a step further. And in verse 9 through 13, he's going to give specific examples about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's going to say that just as God interacted with them, he wants to interact with you. It is a beautiful picture of God's mercy and what he says to 
these people who are living in Rome, who he has, many of them he's never met, but he grew up with uh, people who were relatives of theirs. He grew up as a Orthodox Jew. He knows how they're thinking. He knows what they're struggling with. And he's basically saying, hey, if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were here right now, they would understand that you have to go through Jesus. And they would understand that, yes, God is sovereign. And this is what is so confusing about this passage is, yes, God is sovereign, but he also loves you enough to give you a choice. And that choice is a reflection on his mercy. And so last week we talked about the fact that God is just. And we talked about the fact that his justice is, is it stands outside of time, space, matter. It stands outside of anything. In fact, when we say his mercy endures forever, I mean, we're talking about a mercy that endures uh, before it started, before we were born, and it endures after we die. And so mercy, what is it? Well, mercy is God being so good that he doesn't give us what we do deserve. That's what mercy is. Mercy is God being so good that he doesn't give us what we do deserve. We do deserve the wrath of his justice. We do deserve uh, the, 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 the righteous indignation of God coming down and saying, hey, I, I cannot tolerate the sin that you've committed and the sin that you are longing to commit. But, but, but we do deserve that. And, and mercy says he withholds what we do deserve. Mercy says that God doesn't owe us anything but his wrath. That's a hard truth. That is a very hard truth. And I, I grew up, and you grew up, many of you, really being trained on the distinction between good and bad. And I want to tell you something today that's really important. Mercy is not the difference between good and bad. When we come to God's mercy... We are really making a decision between proud and humble. That's going to make a lot of sense a little bit later, but I, I, want, I want to just say that that's what mercy is. It's, it's the difference between proud and humble because we come to God and we either come to him as bankrupt and, and people in total need of his mercy, but it's totally undeserved. That's what grace is. But, 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 but he gives us mercy out of the kindness of his heart. And it means not that he is rewarding our good. It's meaning that he's giving us something that we don't deserve and he's withholding something that we do deserve. Does everyone understand that? Okay, so that's what mercy is. In Lamentations, Jeremiah explains this, and we sang parts of these verses, but I want to read this to you. It says, my soul, everyone say my soul. That's all that is within you. That's the deepest part of you, okay? So when he says that, he's talking about every, your mind, your will, your emotions, the deepest part of you, my soul hath them still in remembrance. So he's like, from the very core of me, I remember, and I'm humbled in me, okay? It's humbled in me. This I recall in my mind. So now he's thinking about it, and I have hope. By the way, if you don't have hope, you don't have life. You're, you're, you're on spiritual life support. Why? Because he says it's the hope it is the Lord's mercies. So hope and mercy are connected. And he says the Lord's mercies that we are consumed not. A lot of pastors, it's, it's hard for us to talk about this because we understand the hard pressures and the disappointments in life. 
And there have been things done even this week that I don't understand and things that happened this week that I don't even understand. But I want to tell you something that we have to put our lives in biblical context, not in the context that culture says, but in biblical context. And the context is, last week you can listen to it, is the context of justice, the fact that God is just. But, but you cannot put God's justice forward without putting his mercy right next to it. And the mercy says that I deserve nothing but punishment. And that's a tough thing. And I know some of you are like, Pastor, it's nine o'clock in the morning. You're talking about punishment and fire, damnation and all those things. But I'm telling you that you must paint the backdrop of his justice in order to see the blessing of his mercy. If you do not have the backdrop of the fact that we are to be consumed and many people don't want to talk about that because they want to talk about the God of rainbows and butterflies and, and, and leaping on clouds. And, and that's great. But you have to also understand that if God is a good God, which we all are like, yes, he's good. Okay, well, hold on. Let's talk about what that means. His goodness cannot be infringed upon. And so it's, it's amazing that we, a people who are not good, are not consumed. It's amazing to me. But think about this. We are not consumed because his compassions, which is different than mercy, we'll study that, they fail not. His compassions fail not. And they, his mercies and his compassions, they both, that's why it's a plural, they are new every morning. Which morning? Every morning. So his compassions and his mercies, they're new every morning. And why are they new every morning? They are new every morning because great is thy faithfulness. So now he's turning his attention to God and he's like, God, great is your faithfulness. Uh, my track record of faithfulness is terrible, but God's track record of faithfulness is impeccable. God is a faithful and a compassionate and a merciful God. So the Lord is my portion He's my portion, saith my soul. I will hope in him. Now, I have two boys, and sometimes I ask them to share something, uh, not because there's not enough, but just because I want to try to help them to learn how to share. And I want to tell you uh, a progress report on that is it's not going very well. Uh, my, my boys, uh, they, they are hungry all the time, and if you ask two extremely fast-growing, hungry boys to share something, here's what happens, is no matter how you cut it, they are going to get down, level with the sandwich or the donut or whatever you're trying to share, and they are going to measure to the crumb which piece is bigger. And they are going to try to decide, no, Dad, you gave him the bigger piece, right? What are they, what are they, what are they trying to say? They're trying to say, I, I want it to be fair because I feel like I'm not getting enough. That, that's what they're really saying. I feel like it's not fair because I'm not getting enough. Well, what Jeremiah says is, the Lord is my portion. He's my portion and he will always be enough. He will always be enough. Now, here's often why I feel like God is not enough. And I just want to be real with you this morning because th there are many times each week where subconsciously, we feel like his mercy and his grace is not enough. And we've talked about this a little bit in this, in this study, but I want to talk about it right now. The reason why we feel that God is not enough is because we are searching for God in all the wrong places. I'm not just talking about those who are, who are unbelievers. 
Friends, I'm talking about me. I'm talking about the, the believers who've been saved for decades. We look for God in all the wrong places. And, and we're gonna end here, so I wanna begin here. We look for God at the end of our good effort. We look for God when we have done things right in order to make something right. We, we look for God at the end of our devos because we deserve for him to show up there. We look for God when we serve because after all, we're doing it for him. I, I'm just, I'm not being mean this morning. I'm just telling you right now that those are the places I look for God. And all of those things that I just said are things that we should do. But if we think that those things are gonna be a carrot on a stick that we can just wave to the divine and he as a butler is going to come and serve us or show up in some situation, we have misunderstood his mercy. And so I love all of you enough to say this, what I'm about to say. Don't minimize God's mercy by ignoring God's holiness and his justice. You, you, we cannot go on this journey through these four points. And yes, I'm sorry, I have four points, but I'm gonna hurry, okay? Some of you are like, pastor, you could never hardly do it in, in, in enough time with three. I'm gonna move fast in four, okay? But we are so convinced that we can have his mercy and still live unholy because we try to connect the two. And I wanna tell you something, that his mercy if it's dependent on my holiness, oh my word, I'm in trouble. And you're in trouble. I want to tell you something, that your holiness is an outflow of your identity in Christ. And it is, it is an outflow of who he has called you to be. He has made you holy. He has called you the righteousness of God. And so we're not going to ignore the holiness of God. And we're not gonna ignore what we talked about last week. And I'm not gonna re-preach last week's sermon, but, but if you didn't hear it, this, there's gonna be some things that you're not gonna, it's not gonna click because last week we talked about his justice. We talked about who he is and how it does not change. And so his justice and his holiness are the backdrop. It's the foundation on which we can understand and receive and accept his, holy, or his, his mercy. And so there are four realities of God's mercy. And these are the bedrock. These are the, these are the bedrock truths of Romans 9. And they are the bedrock truths. You can, I mean, it was so hard for me to delete different verses because we could not fit them in your notes or in mine or in the time because the Bible always is constantly circling back to these truths about God's mercy because Satan, if he can get you doubting God's mercy, he will get you doubting God's goodness. And if God is not good enough, then why do you even try? That's what happened in the garden and that's what happens to us. So number one, I want you to see that mercy is from God. Mercy is not something that man dreamed up. Mercy is from God. And, and, and mercy is God. You could, put, you could put that. Mercy is God, right? And so in verse 14, it says, what should we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is there unrighteousness with God? 
And the word unrighteousness is a dikakia, and it's, and it's talking about sinful or wrongdoing, injustice. So this is a reference to last week. Is God not just? Of course he's just. Of course he's righteous. God forbid, he says. And then it says what we read before, that, that what he said to Moses in Exodus 33, 19, when he says, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. This is Exodus 33, 19. I will proclaim the name. Okay, so that's, that's who he was called, Yahweh, the name. Okay, Hashem in, in Hebrew, Hashem, the name of the Lord, Yahweh, okay, uh, Jehovah, before thee. So here's my name. Here's who I am. And I will, I will, I will proclaim it before thee. And I will be gracious Okay, that's the Hebrew word for mercy. And then the Hebrew word for mercy is where we get compassions. And so it's a little confusing, but I want to I tell you that he, he is gracious to whom he will be gracious, and he will show mercy to whom he will show mercy. So what's the difference between the two? Well, the word mercy is ekaleo, and it's to have pity, or, or, or not just to have pity, but, but to give forgiveness unconditionally, to show mercy kindness and generosity to have found clemency or extreme leniency. So then what are, what's compassion? Compassion uh, or, or, or quartillo, it, it's talking specifically uh, about the empathy that God has. So one is talking about the pity, okay? The fact that he saw us in our low state and gave us clemency. He gave us leniency. The other is how he feels about it. And how he feels about it is deep empathy, as if you're, he's sitting next to us, he's close to us, he's gracious and he's understanding, he's moved by the concern and the consideration. So, so one is he is so merciful, this is what he has done. The other is he's so compassionate, here's how he feels about it. Does everyone understand that? So, so, so that's why it uses both of them. And this is what Psalm uh, 145.8 says, the Lord is gracious full of compassion, slow to anger, and great, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. And all thy works shall I praise thee, O Lord. Thy saints shall bless thee. Why are you blessing him? Because it is him and not you. And that's what verse 16 says, is that mercy is from him, it is not from you. And I think that sometimes in our heads we understand this, and in our hearts we don't, because the word willeth in verse uh, 16, when he says, it's no man that willeth, no man that runneth, but God that gives mercy, it's the word fellow. And it's talking about wanting or resolving or, or the desire or delight, the, the pleasure in, to intend or to purpose in your heart to do something. So, so, so it's God that works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So you say, well, I, I don't want to do what's holy. I don't want to do what's right. I don't want to do this. And in God's mercy, he actually does this in you. He works and he changes your desires. And there's many people who say, I, I would be a Christian, but honestly, I just don't want to. I know what it entails. And I always say, hey, listen, what if God could come in and change your desires what if God could do a desire implant where, where he puts in the desires that are good for you and that are holy and that are right? And, and, and then it says this, not just willeth, but runneth. It's God that runneth. Okay, so it's God, not us. It's not us that, 
that run, it's the word trek or treko, um, and, and, and it means to run or to sprint rapidly. It means to have quick progress. So God gives the mercy, not our quick progress. It's, it, it's not our push on a certain course. Um, about six months ago, some, some guys in the church were going to go to a mud runner down in Lake Elsinore. And Camden's like, hey, Dad, we've got to do this. And I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> and he's like, we've got to do this. And he, it'd just be me and you. And he played, you know, the dad and son. Like, I mean, come on, you, you won't regret doing this with your son, right? And I'm like, okay, let's go do it. And we woke up early and we get there and it's muddy and it's tiring. And I mean, he's just blowing through them. You know, he's going over the monkey bars like, come on, Dad, what's, what's wrong? I'm like, I'm coming, you know? And so we get to the very end and I'm just absolutely exhausted. And I was not ready for this. I mean, I did not train for it. You know, nothing. I would just showed up. And, and so, but I'm like, I'm going to finish. Cam's finishing. I'm finishing. And we get to the very end. And there's all of these, these elect, electrodes, these, these wires, these live wires hanging down. If you've been to some of these, you know, and I, I think some of the guys are here that, that went, these live wires. I look at Camden. He looks at me and I'm like, we finished. We're fine. We're good. We're not doing that. We're not. We don't care. I'm not going to get electrocuted at the end of this thing just to say I did it. I still got the t-shirt. Who cares, right? The, the, the point was, I wanted to walk up to the, walk up to the manager or whoever, you know, and just be, I, otherwise, I didn't want to be a Karen, but I, I, I wanted to walk up to the manager and say, um, hello, we finished the course, and now you want to, like, hey, congratulations. Now just get zapped to death, right? By the way, you're running through water while the, while the, the, the things are hanging. They just kind of zaps you down into the water. Just not, not fun. I think sometimes we look at life, and we look at something that God's put in our, in our obstacle, an obstacle in our path, and, and we look at it the way that I was looking at that obstacle, totally pointless. The, the, the difference between the managers at the mud runner, whatever it's called, Tough Mudder, and God is the managers at Tough Mudder are sitting somewhere where, they, where you can't see them, but they can see you, and they're laughing, okay? That's not who God is. God, God's, God's not upstairs, as they say, making jokes about your trials, God's not indifferent about your pain. God's not so removed that he just doesn't care. And he's, there's so, well, there's 8 billion people in the world. So, I mean, I'm just one of them. And there's no way he knows what's going on. I'm telling you, friend, he loves you. And he cares about, he made you. And he wants you to understand that, listen, it's not about your push, pushing in your race. And it's not about your desire. It's about his mercy. And so when we, when we lay charge to God's account, like we talked about last week, we, we say what Romans 3, 5, and we read it last week, so I'm not going to expound it, but uh, that, that if our unrighteousness uh, commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? Meaning, if truly us being unholy is just the backdrop of God's beauty and holiness, and, and, and if just all, us sinning just allows God's grace to be more glorious and brilliant, then why couldn't we just keep sinning and God not judge us? And, and the answer to that question is because God is filled with mercy. 
And God will not allow us to self-destruct without putting something in our path to tell us, hey, that's not the path you want to go on. And sometimes there's things that feel uncomfortable and things that you, you're like, why in the world would this be put here? And there, we can feel that way like, no, there's no way. I'm not going. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm out. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. Come on, God. Anyone but that person. Any job but that. Any ask but that. Anything but that. And many times those are the moments of mercy that we're refusing to engage with. And so God does not answer to us. I think that's the biggest takeaway. If you forget everything else from today, I would underline that in your notes. God does not answer to us. Can we say that together? God does not answer to us. He does not answer to you. He does not answer to me. He, he is outside of space, time, and matter. He is outside of this world. He made this universe. He does not answer to us for what is good and what is merciful. And our sin nature resists the sovereignty of his mercy. The fact is, this passage is so hard because this passage points us to God's sovereignty. And sovereignty is something that none of us, if we're honest, can completely wrap our mind around, and that is a good thing. If you can understand every point about God's sovereignty, he would no longer be God. I am so thankful I have a God that I can't wrap my mind around. And so thank God for his mercy because it's like oxygen. It's unseen, but let me tell you, it's necessary for life. You need God's mercy. Why? Because number two, it is a gift. God's mercy is a gift. In verse 17, we already read this. He said, God's mercy looked a whole lot like him bringing a a terrible tyrant to the throne in Egypt. And he says, therefore, He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. And then this is the part I didn't read because this is the hard truth. He, whom he will, he hardeneth. So you cannot talk about God's mercy without talking about God's justice. And if God is merciful, that means sometimes he gives clemency, he gives leniency. And other times he gives someone what they truly want. He gives them over to their sin. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 7, blessed be the merciful, merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. God's saying, hey, listen, when you choose to walk in my mercy, when you choose to live according to my mercy, when you choose to accept my mercy and give my mercy, then you will find mercy. You will obtain mercy. See, God's mercy is the only source for steadfast hope and his compassion is the only place for true comfort. But when, when, when Pharaoh chose five times over and over again against the will of God, by the way, God would have allowed the, the, the Israelites to leave right away if, if, if Pharaoh would have, would have believed. But Pharaoh chose no, no, no. And God knew that for five times he chose and then the next five, God chose to harden his heart. And if you go back and read it, God is hardening Pharaoh's heart because that is exactly what Pharaoh chose. And the word raised thee up is exgeromai or or exogero. And it's talking about this 
this increase or promotion to bring someone, to elevate someone to power, and he's elevating him to power, dynamos, this miraculous uh, supernatural ability, he's giving this to him because it's exactly what Pharaoh wanted. He is allowing this choice to, to showcase his mercy. This is what, this is what uh, Jesus did it, with the religious leaders. He allowed the religious leaders to get more hate-filled and more self-righteous and more filled with indignation. Why? Because he wanted to show uh, the brilliance of his mercy on the cross and he blinded their eyes and he hardened their heart that they shall not see. Uh, and, and, and they didn't understand what his teachings. Why? Because he had hardened their heart and he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Scalarumo or Scalaruno. And it's talking about this, this stubborn or, or the strengthening, this unresponsive. It's talking about to freeze or to solidify. And so some of you have heard this illustration before, but I, I think it's important for this passage to understand that God has a choice in his mercy to harden some hearts and to soften others. And so just like when you would put ice, and I think we have a video of ice, just like if you would put ice under a hot light or next to a fire, that ice is going to soften. It's going to melt. That, that ice is made to melt. It's, it, it's, it's starting to soften. It's, it's, it's not solidifying. It's not, it's not becoming harder. No, it's, it's softening. And so just as heat will soften ice, Heat will also harden clay. If you take clay and, and put fire around it and, 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 and burn it even hotter, that, that, that clay will turn into bricks. It will, it will solidify. It will become uh, much, much harder and it will, it, it will take a harder form. Why? Because uh, some things are softened by the same heat that hardens other things. And so you say, well, I don't like the fact that God hardens some people's heart and softens others. Well, the reality is they make the choice and then God has a choice. And God's choice is often to say, hey, I'm just gonna go ahead and give you the fruit of your own way. And that's what Proverbs chapter one and verse 30 says. They would have none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. They will eat the fruit thereof, the fruit of their own way. So God will give you the fruit that you're longing to eat of. He will give you that. Why? Because you are filled with your own devices. The prosperity of fools destroys them. When you are longing for prosperity outside of God's mercy, he gives it to you. And then that is, that is his justice. He's giving you what you want, but you do not need or that is not good for you. The turning, of the, way, the turning away of the simple shall slay them, but whosoever hearkeneth shall dwell safely and be quiet from the fear of evil. And so many of us, as we saw last week, and I put it in your notes, uh, Romans 2, verses 2 through 5, we, we want to see the kindness of God that leads to repentance, but many times we don't like to see the other side of that coin. And the other side of that coin is when we don't repent, often God can say, okay, you don't want to repent. I'm going to give you the fruit of your own way. You say, oh, but he doesn't do that to Christians. Oh, but he does. Oh, but he loves his children enough to give them the choice that they're bound to make without him. 
Oh, 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 but, 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 but you're, still, you're still going to heaven. Absolutely. But, but he's going to allow you to make your life here on earth a living hell. And that's what most people won't tell you is that living outside of God's mercy looks a whole lot like you being in control of your circumstances. And it's a terrifying place to be. You say, well, well how, how do I not get there? I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to live without God. And I want to tell you how to get there. And that is, don't boast against God's mercy. Don't, don't act as if his mercies are just a coincidence. Or don't act as if you know where the edge of his mercy is, where, where, where oh, his mercies are new every morning. Absolutely. But because of his mercy, there's many times that he will say, oh, you want to ignore the warning? Go for it. I love you enough for you to experience the consequences of your actions. So he's just in order to do that. And so I saw a video recently that just illustrates this perfectly. This guy was so sick and tired of his warning light, his, his check engine light coming on, and so this is what he did. Problem solved. Now, will the light ever come on again? Trick question. Yes, it will, but you will never see it. And I think there's a lot of people, and, and again, I, I, I warned you this morning, okay, right after you got your donuts and coffee, that this is a hard truth. And the hard truth is this, that the longer we ignore the warning, the more God says, I, I, I want, I want to, and, and my mercy is new. But sometimes mercy looks like him saying, here you go. You were praying for it, and I wasn't answering for a reason, but here you go. You, 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 just, you, you just, you really want to do that outside of your marriage, and you really want to make that decision, and you know it's wrong, but you just keep doing it anyway. Here you go. And, and that's not the type of mercy that many people are wanting to talk about. We want to talk about how his loving kindness endures forever. And friends, it does. But many times it looks like his justice. It looks like the fact that he loves us enough to say, hey, here's a gift. Here's a gift. And if you're going to, re if you're going to reject it, then here are the consequences for that. So that's the negative. And I did the negative first because I want to end on the positive, okay? So, so the, the, the negative side of it is that mercy is from God, and so it's not from us. And it's a gift that can be rejected in the sense that you can reject his mercy for salvation, but after salvation, you can reject to live into his mercy and to walk according to his grace. But, but beyond that, okay, so we, God is completely sov sovereign, and we have a, a, a choice. But, but here's the last two points, and the last two points will go a lot faster, and they're a lot, a lot more encouraging, Okay. Number three, God's mercy is greater. It's greater. Now, those of you that are grammatical, you know, you, you, you want things to be gra grammatically correct, you're at greater, greater, greater what? Greater is a comparative term. You have to say something after it. And that's the whole point of this point, is his mercy is greater, period. There is nothing greater. There is nothing that will outreach or outlast his greatness. And this is what Paul is saying in verse 19. He says, why doth he yet find fault? Or who resisteth against his will? Nay, but, O oh man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing that's formed say to the thing that formed it, 
Why hast thou made me thus? Like, God, why did you make me this way? That's what he's saying. Hath not the potter power over the clay and the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and the other unto dishonor? When he says resistance, this is where we get the, the antihistamine, the word for antihistamine. Antihistamine, it's talking about against, to withstand, uh, to, to, to oppose. And, and this is what Isaiah said. Hey, um, we're the work of his hand. And, and, and how can those that are framed and formed by God uh, say that, that we're not? Basically, in verse 16, he says, the, the, the turning of things upside down shall esteemed as the potter's clay. Meaning, how, how can we live in an upside down world where we think we're molding ourselves without God's hand? And so I just want you to look at a potter molding clay. I want, I want you to look at this because this is, the clay does not reach up or speak out in saying, no, 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 you made a mistake there. No, no, I don't, I don't, no, no, put that away. I don't like that. That's painful. Don't, don't do that. No, I wanted that. No, keep that. What are you doing? I wanted that. Many times we as the clay, we want to try to tell God what needs to stay and what needs to go away. I want to tell you, this is a hard truth, but this is so real that the beauty of God being the potter and us being the clay is to say, I am moldable. God, I want you to mold my life and I want you to mold my circumstances and my dreams and my desires based on your mercy and based on your goodness, not based on my idea of what is good. And so he's greater why would we reply, antipakrinomai, it's a long Greek word, antipakrinomai, it means to answer reproach, to talk criticism, to talk back, to reply evidence of him doing wrong, and, and almost to conceal your displeasure. Can I encourage you, if you've been given mercy, if you're, if you're a child of God who've, who's been a recipient of God's mercy, and by the way, everyone in here, including those who have never received Christ, is a recipient of God's mercy. The fact that you're breathing means that God has had mercy on you. But let's be a forgiver because God will never ask you to give as much mercy as he has already given to you. He will never ask you to give the type of mercy that he's given to you. I gave you a quote by C.H. Spurgeon about how God's mercy is greater than anything. But the reality is, his mercy is greater. His mercy is greater. And uh, Annie Johnson Flint, who was orphaned and then adopted, and then her adopted parents died, and then she was so poor she was homeless, and then she was covered with sores, and then they got the sores fixed, and then she had crippling arthritis, and then she lost her legs, and then she had cancer, and then she had blindness, and it was just a, a, a life filled with all of the worst things you could possibly think of. She says, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he added his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. He formed us. It's the word for plasma. He molds us. And then it says some to honor. That's the word for time, value. It doesn't mean that if there's a, there's a vessel for dishonor, it's, dis, it's not valuable. It just means that some people choose to live outside of the value that God's placed on them. 
But God has authority. It's not dunamis, the power. No, he has the power to mold the clay over the authority, excusia, to, to be in control of, to be in charge of. So, so God's mercy, it, it's from him. It's a gift. It's a gift that can be rejected or accepted, but, but, but then it's greater. And then finally today, and we're finished, God's mercy is glorious. It's glorious because look at what it says. It says, willing to show his wrath, to make his power known, to endure with much long suffering the vessels that were fitted for destruction, meaning all of us were fitted for destruction and God in long suffering gave us this opportunity to enter into relationship with him. That he may make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. That's who we are. We're no longer vessels of destruction. We're now vessels of mercy, which God had afforded, prepared unto glory. We are prepared not for this world, but for glory. And this was almost an exact response to uh, to what he was saying to Moses and and to Pharaoh. But First uh, Quran, or, 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 or um, I'm sorry, Colossians 1, 26 through 28 talks about the glory of God being perfected in man. We were, we were meant to reflect God's glory, the hope of his glory. And the only thing that can transform our hearts and our minds is the way that we look at God's glory. And we cannot look at our merit and our sacrifice over the looking at his mercy and his sacrifice. And I think this is, this is the crux of the matter. This is where we miss mercy is when we look at what we have done as an avenue for what Christ must do. We deserve this from God because of what we have done. I want to tell you that is a dangerous thing because it assumes that we know best. And so I don't have time for this last illustration, and I'm going to do it anyway, and I apologize to the children's workers for doing this. But I'm going to ask you guys to bring up a chair, and I'm going to, I'm going to use the most extreme illustration that I could possibly think of. But if I, if I asked you to sit down, okay, you sat down in a chair, and I said, I've got to run a quick errand. I know we're supposed to meet, and I know you have some counseling needs, and we want to sit down and, and, and have this moment. But I want you to wait right here. I have someone else who, who might want to talk to you in the meantime, um, but I, I'm a little busy, and so I need to run. Okay, now this is a hypothetical situation, okay? I would never do this, but I, I want to show you this, and I guarantee you you'll never forget this, so that's why it's so crazy, okay? So you're sitting there, and you're like, okay, so now what? And... About two minutes later, after sitting there in awkward silence, thinking that you were going to meet with me, in walks my 10-year-old, Chandler. And he sits down, and puts on some glasses, and takes out some, a Bible verse. And he said, my dad um, can't meet with you, but, but what's going on? <laughs> now, if you're there to meet with Chandler about cars, Chandler loves cars, and he can talk about it. And, and actually, the gap between his knowledge and my knowledge in cars uh, that, that's that's not, not too much of a gap, actually. There's probably a gap the other way, okay? He studies it. He knows all the new cars and, you know, the parts, and he's really into that. But the gap between my 10-year-old, who has no experience, who's never been married, so has no business counseling you in your marriage or whatever, and someone who has been counseling for years and years or whatever, and I'm not saying my experience is great. All I'm saying is this. 
The gap between my 10-year-old and me, think about this, and the gap between my knowledge and God's knowledge is incomparable. So here's what we do. Here's what we do. We try to sit in the chair that we have no business sitting in. And we try to tell God why he was or why he wasn't merciful. And we try to say to him, well, that wasn't good. You weren't merciful. You weren't loving. And, and we try to sit in the chair that we have no business sitting in. You would tell my 10-year-old, um, funny prank, but I'm out of here. But we try to do the same thing to God. We have no business listening to ourselves when we're trying to say what is good and what isn't good. Because how do we know the gap between our knowledge and our perspective and God's perspective is so great, we can't even fathom it. And so God's mercy is glorious. It is so glorious that I want to tell you something. You can't wrap your mind around it. But we must wrap our lives around it. We must say, hey, uh, God is so merciful that we cannot truly come to the end. It's inexhaustible. It's uncomparable. It's incredible. And so let's live our lives not based on what we think is good, but based on what he says is good. Let's live our lives not based on what we think we can counsel ourselves to do or, or, or try to tell God what he thinks is right or what we think is right. But let's do what Augustine of Hippo said. Let's trust the past to God's mercy. You see, often when we sit in the chair as the counselor and the one who's deciding things, we're deciding who receives mercy from us and who does not deserve it. We're deciding whether or not we should get mercy from other people and whether we shouldn't. We are the ones deciding when really it should be up to God. Let's trust the past of God's mercy. Many people sit in the counselor of uh, the chair of counsel with mercy and they say, well, well, God, I could never forgive myself for what I've done. And God looks right back to them and says, that's not your chair, get up. I am not the one who decides whether or not I can receive mercy because of what I have done. He is the giver of mercy. He is the one that decides, I will give you mercy. And I want to tell you right now that some of you are sitting in the wrong chair. You should be sitting in the chair receiving mercy. You should be sitting in the chair, the recipient of God's grace. You should be sitting there saying, God, you are good, and I'm going to trust the past to your mercy. I'm going to trust the present to your love. And I'm going to trust the future to, your, president, to your, your providence. And so it is good when we love mercy, when we do justly, and when we walk humbly before our God, as Micah said. Because God's mercy is completely undeserved. It is always unearned. And it is gloriously inexhaustible. You say, well, 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 what about that part about him withholding mercy? I never said he withholds mercy. I said he gives mercy that we turn our back on. You, you, you say, well, it's inexhaustible. So, so, so then why, why would he not give it to me? No, the point is his mercy often looks like and feels like his justice. God is so good that he is outside of the understanding and he is outside of the comprehension 
that you have. He can do things that looks like, wow, why would you do that? But in the long run, you will look back with his understanding when we get to heaven and you will say, God is good and his mercy endures forever. Lord, I want to publicly apologize for the moments that we as as Christians here in this place have pulled up a chair in moments of self-reflection, in moments of unforgiveness, and we have decided to counsel you on who should or shouldn't receive mercy. Lord, we have decided to be the one to define mercy on our own terms. And Lord, there have been moments where we have felt deserving of something that's a gift. And we have felt undeserving of consequences that we were absolutely deserving to receive. So Lord, I pray that we would define us by your grace. I pray that there would be no misunderstandings here. That Lord, your mercy is so amazing that there's no way in in a brief time together we could possibly unpack this to the fullest. But help us not to resist against your sovereignty. The fact that you are sovereign and Lord, the fact that you are providential You see the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. Lord, may we understand that our choice is a gift of your love. And Lord, I pray that today, if there's anyone who has not received you as their Lord and Savior, that they would, Lord, understand that you have delivered mercy to them as a gift. May they receive that gift of grace and may they enter into relationship through Jesus Christ. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And as we're all sitting here in contemplation, there's so many truths that that I tried to cover today and I probably tried to cover too much. But I want to tell you something. If you just forget everything else, would you please remember that God is so good, he's willing to do something that maybe you don't understand. And God is so good that He's not just gonna do what makes you feel good. He's gonna do what's good for you. And so friend, if you're sitting here and you've never received his mercy because you've looked from the outside in and it it hasn't looked good, I wanna tell you that that's Satan trying to convince you that God is not enough, that his power, his grace, His mercy has cracks in it. And I'm here to tell you it doesn't. That it's just higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so friend, if you're here today and you've never received that gift, the gift that he sent his son to die for, friend, would you receive that today? I want you to call out to God. If you're listening on the radio or watching online, call out to him, say, God, I am undeserving of your mercy. But thank you. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. 
I follow you all the days of my life. You prayed that prayer. It's not a prayer that saves you, but turning from him and turning from your sin and turning to him. Friend, that's the moment. If you've prayed that prayer and, and you meant it, I, I, wanna, I wanna pray for you. If you're online or listening on the radio, would you please reach out to us? And friend, if you're in this room and you, and you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? How many of you would say, I prayed that prayer and I meant it? Just put it up, thank you. Anyone else? Put it up, put it right back down. You would join these hands who would say, I prayed that prayer and I meant it. Put it up, put it right back down. Friend, if, if you're sitting here and you're, as I have been, overwhelmed by God's mercy, would you in this moment identify something that, or someone that you're unwilling to give mercy to? Are, are, you, are you having a tough time receiving the mercy that is, yes, undeserved? Are you trying to work for something that is not a reward? It's, it's a gift. It's a free gift. It's not something that is achieved. It's something that is received. Friend, let's take a moment and thank God for his mercy. thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the depths of the truth that we were able to just dive into for a brief moment today. Lord, may this truth, Lord, resonate and continue to bring us close to you. May, may in your love, you call us to a place of understanding, Lord, that you are such a good God Lord, that you are willing to interact with us as a loving father who is willing to do the best thing for each and every one of us. Lord, may your sovereignty not scare us, but may it cause us to be left in awe and wonder. And, and may we understand the greatness of who you are and who you've made us to be in Jesus' name.